0: This podcast is produced by the ABA Journal.
1: We bring you the latest legal news every day from around the web. Visit us online at abajournal.com.: The impeachment of a president, including scandal around the existence of a certain blue dress, the Thai 2000 presidential election, the September 11th attacks and the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan and the worst economy since the Great Depression has marked an era of constant change for Americans. At media conglomerate ABC, a corporate lawyer was appointed head of the newsroom in 1997 and tasked to helm a business besieged by budget cuts and competition from nearly unlimited sources, thanks in part to the explosive growth of the Internet. I'm ABA Journal Business of Law reporter Rachel Zahorski, and joining me now to discuss his new book, Exit Interview, is David Weston, a former Washington, D.C. Big Law partner and general counsel who left his position as president of ABC News after 14 years, where he directed coverage of what he calls some of the most perplexing and important events in history. Welcome, David. We've chatted earlier that your first big news break initially pitted your judgment against one of your leading anchors. Before we begin, why don't you read a passage for our listeners about the night you reported on the death of a princess?
0: All right. All right. This was it, my first big breaking news story, and I was in the middle of it. I felt that adrenaline rush you get when the story is big, you're on the air, you don't know where it's going, and you're holding on for dear life just trying to get it right. Until I was responsible for the decisions, I'd had no idea how difficult, exhilarating, and satisfying breaking news could be. I thought we'd done well to that point. Looking forward, we had a lot of material in our archives from the extensive reporting on Diana we'd done over the years. We had our partnership with the BBC, we had our own people like Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer, who'd known the princess personally, and we were deploying all the assets of ABC News to report on how everyone was reacting. We were on our way to producing a primetime special drawing on all that reporting and video. It may have been my first time, but I felt as though we'd gotten off to a pretty strong start. And that's when the call came in from Peter. He hadn't seen our coverage, but he was sure that we weren't off to a good start at all if we were planning on doing a primetime special On the life and death of princess diana peter's intense reaction to my decision had to do not only with the role of network news in primetime but also with peter's role at abc news and frankly his doubts about me i'd been there less than six months i'd come from outside the news division even outside journalism altogether i hadn't practiced law for years but people still referred to me as a corporate lawyer and they didn't mean it as a compliment In their eyes, being a lawyer clearly meant that I lacked creativity or courage or both. They thought that coming from the corporation must mean that I cared more about making a profit than about journalism. And that drive for profit meant that I'd push for more entertainment and less news coming out of ABC News.
1: Now, David, our listeners know that you did continue on with a special and cover Diana's death extensively, but that happened after a second phone call from your anchor and after a plan had already been concocted with your chairman and peers at the new service. What happened next?
0: Well, I, I, I took a deep gulp with Peter on the phone telling me I was uh, really making a big mistake. And, and I, I basically said uh, she wasn't the head of state, Peter, I know, but I have a sister back in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who has followed every detail about her life. And I think that Other people will be interested as well, and and Peter immediately responded, um, that's fine. I said, it's your right to do a special, but I'll have nothing to do with it. Um, At that point, I did go ahead with the special and arrange for Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer to anchor it. Uh, But the next morning, which was a Sunday morning, Princess Diane died overnight on Saturday. Our special was to air on Sunday evening. The next morning, Sunday morning, Peter called me first thing saying he was in the car on the way in, and he'd read all the coverage, and that uh, he'd concluded I was right and he was wrong, and he'd like to do the special. At which point I said to Peter, of course, you're our principal anchor. Uh, we would want you on the special, but Barbara and Diane have already signed up for it, so you're going to have to do it together with them. And to his credit, he said, no problem, we'll do that. And so in the end, we aired a two-hour primetime special that Sunday night, anchored by Peter Jennings, Barbara Walters, and Diane Sir all together.
1: And you had said that you made the decision in the book to include Pierre with Diane and Barbara and not stick it to one of your lead anchors um, from an adage that you used at your old law firm. If you can't fix it, feature it.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly right. We did say that at Wilmer, Cutler, and Pickering when I was there. Often when you're writing a difficult brief, I found that if there's something you really couldn't uh, work your way through, you're often better off bringing it up to the front of the brief and really uh, featuring it.
1: And you you talk about a lot of anecdotes in your book and a lot of lessons that you brought from your clerkship with Justice Powell to your time at the firm, to your time as General Counsel of Capital City. Can you share with us a few more anecdotes where your background as a lawyer kind of influenced the way you approached a particular news story or how a segment was going to be handled?
0: There there were two ways in which I believed that um, my training and my experience in in the law really helped me at ABC News. One directly, there there are quite a number of stories that come up that directly um, bear on the law, Um, and and that could include um, the, you know, the the investigation, the Ken Starr investigation of President Clinton, leading up to the impeachment, Um, uh, presided over, as you recall, the trial in the Senate by Chief Justice Rehnquist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it included, for that matter, Bush versus Gore, the resolution of um, the 2000 election, Right. Uh, where I felt that I knew something about the Supreme Court having served there for a year. Uh, by the way, I, I fearlessly predicted inside the newsroom two or three things about that that turned out to be totally wrong. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I at least knew what the process was and what was going on behind the scenes. And then there would be other issues such as subpoenas uh, for, for outtakes or for um, – or other confidential information, uh, and run-ins, frankly, sometimes with, uh, with uh, judicial authorities, uh, where it helped, I think, to, to know that. That's one, uh, one way in which being a lawyer, I think, helped me. But there's a much broader point here. Uh, one of the things that I learned back at Michigan Law School and was, was reinforced when I was at Wilmer, Cutler, and Pickering was the m- most important thing I always thought for a lawyer was not to know the answers to the questions but to know which questions to ask. And how many questions to ask and who to trust, how many people you have to ask it of, Uh, that's what I thought really determined what a good lawyer was. And that's very similar in my experience to a good journalist. It's really about knowing the questions to ask. You can't be a master of all the stories you're covering. You can't know as much as the subjects in the stories know. But you can develop an ability to really ask questions and get to the heart of the matter relatively quickly and, uh, and assess the, the answers you're being given.
1: And in your book, you convey the respect that you have for journalists and, and how that grew over time when you saw the preparation, the depth of preparation, the anchors went through to prepare for an interview. Um, and I would imagine similar as preparing for, like you said, a deposition or, or whatnot. But you also touch upon the tension between profit profit and journalism, and again, having that corporate background, people saw you more as the money guy who's, who's going to stand in the way of the legitimate stories the public needs to know, and at the same time, ABC News is a business, um, and good journalism does cost money, um, and you had a lot of competition, you faced a lot of budget cuts at that time, um, I thought perhaps we could talk a little bit more about that tension between balancing the budget side versus the public service. Of journalism because I know a lot of lawyers these days are facing similar things. They've, they're worried about their own clients and their overhead at their own firm, and yet we're seeing a greater call for pro bono. How the middle class, lower classes of America are underserved, and I thought perhaps maybe there might be some lessons that we and they can glean from from your experiences.
0: Well, you're quite right that um, a lot of my job for my almost 14 years at ABC News uh, was. Uh, getting right um, the, the the joint interests of making sure that we were profitable and that we were covering the news. Uh, over time, I became somewhat impatient with sort of a dichotomy that w- that was introduced by a lot of people, where people would come down on one side or the other, say we should do the journalism and have no regard for the business side of it, or sometimes we should just pay attention to the business and do whatever it takes to get the business strong, and not worry with the journalism. I I believed and believe firmly that you have to do both at the same time. It's critically important. You cannot do really good journalism without being conscious of the costs and the revenues because it it takes resources. It takes money to cover stories properly. So you can't do good journalism without having a really good business sense of it. The flip side is also true. Um, you you cannot ultimately succeed as a news organization if you're willing to just throw the journalism out the window because ultimately the strength of your news organization is based on the relationship with the audience and their believing that you're telling them important things and the truth about important things. So I believe that you had to do both as difficult as it was, that you just couldn't choose one over the other and prefer the one over the other.
1: And, And to continue on with that, journalism, the issues that you faced as a a journalist now, um, and perhaps they they really entwined with a lot of issues that are important with the legal profession. Um, You kind of touch upon one of the very first, uh, one of your very first thoughts about journalists um, was when you were a clerk for Justice Powell, and you speak about the case from Rochester where the newspaper reporter wanted to be let in to cover a pretrial hearing, and the judge kept her out. Well, cameras in the courtrooms are a huge issue right now. Freedom of the press, um, anonymous sources are all things that we've seen in the press. Has your opinion on any of these issues changed from where you started when you were an associate and a partner at a large D.C. law firm to, to now?
0: Yes. Uh, uh, most important, um, my view about cameras in the courtroom ha- ha- has changed. When I was clerking, uh, and then, when I was a, a, a young lawyer at a law firm, but particularly when I was clerking, I uh, really thought it would be a mistake to put cameras in the courtroom, simply because I thought it would affect the process—that that people would be conscious of the fact that they had a camera on them, and uh, and they might be playing to the camera rather than really focusing in on on the issues in front of them. Over time, my my change my view has changed 180 degrees. Uh, f- first of all. I have enough confidence in the judges and the lawyers to believe that the, that all of them, or at least the vast majority of them, uh, would take their responsibilities seriously and not let the cameras affect them. But more important than that, particularly given where we are in this country overall and the, the, the extreme um, uh, disagreement that we're seeing in, in politics and in the media and things, I think it would be a very useful lesson to a lot of Americans if they could see – the way judges and lawyers resolve even the most bitter of disputes, uh, in a way that's within certain rules, rules of decorum, uh, the judges coming up with an answer to questions. I think it's a it's a very strong um, uh, way of making decisions, and it's one of the great strengths of this country is is our rule of law and how it's applied, and I think it would be a very powerful example to some of the other. Um, Parts of our government and our, and our media uh, to take a look at the way judicial proceedings are So I've turned 180 degrees around. I think we should have <laughs> the court, the cameras in the courtroom.
1: And, Dave, my last question is, you write, we were on our way from a world dominated by three television news organizations to one with an almost unlimited number of new providers. That was the world you inherited when you became president of ABC News. Um, what can lawyers learn from this, particularly small firms and solos, as they face increased competition from other legal service providers what do you think are some of the most important lessons you learned when navigating a world that's changing faster than than you can even keep up with
0: well I have two thoughts Um, and and now I haven't practiced law in a good long time so I don't want to put myself as an expert on it but I have two thoughts just to consider one is certainly in the media world and I suspect that this is at least partially true in the legal world uh, Change is coming faster and faster, and I see no end in sight. Uh, There was a time when you thought if you just get through the change, then it'll settle down again. I don't think that's going to happen in media, certainly not in my lifetime, Uh, maybe never. And I suspect that the the pace of change in law will not uh, decelerate either. So one thing is just get ready for it, be prepared for it, be flexible, realize it's going to change, and not spend too much time mourning over the lost days that, that have gone by. Um, but the second thing is what really that, that change is, is doing in the media world, which may have some implication in law, is it requires you to focus in on what do you really add. In, in the media world, just talking about that, for many years there was great success for the three broadcast networks because there were three of them. And they did things and spent money on things and invested in things that really were not that terribly valuable. What's happening now is there's been more and more competition from other media outlets is that all of the news organizations have to focus really tightly on what it is that they do better than anybody else. What do they have to offer? And be willing to let other people do the other sorts of work uh, as a program. I'm talking about a lot of news gathering, a lot of telecommunications and things that used to require enormous investment from the broadcast networks. Now, you can outsource that. You can do that a different way, and then you can focus. And it can be more rewarding, potentially, to focus on what really brought you to the profession to begin with, what you believe you can truly offer that no one else can offer. And I do think there's a parallel, uh, in my experience, at least, with practice of law in the media in the sense that if it's done truly well, it can benefit society, not just the people in the profession, but it can make, make our republic stronger. And I I think that we all have to keep that firmly in mind and and recognize that change is inevitable, but it can also be very good.
1: Uh, I think many of our readers can agree and relate to that, and I thank you for for sharing your insights. I want to wrap up today on the, the very, very first sentence. We talk about this whirlwind of change, but the very first sentence on the cover of your book is that when you became president of ABC News in 1997, the world seemed like a quiet place. And your book is filled with some wonderful and amazing anecdotes of some of the biggest events that have happened since then you write about the blue dress you write about your leonardo dicaprio problem you write about smuggling uranium (laughs) and there's a lot of good ones to choose from but if you had to choose um, the first that comes to mind when you say never in a million years in a history of news reporting did i think we would be writing about this. Of the anecdotes you share, what's what's one that just blew your mind?
0: Well, 9-11 has to be at the top of the list. Uh, it was a shattering experience for everyone in the country and certainly for those of us struggling to try to cover the story because things we were reporting on were totally unimaginable. Uh, and, and it did change, I think, the attitude of the country about a lot of things almost instantaneously and the relationship between media and government and. And, and the military and the people in all sorts of ways. Uh, so 9-11, I think, was was clearly the most profound story that we covered, and, and it changed the world the most.
1: Oh, absolutely. You, you dedicate a chapter in your book to that. Um, is, is there something also kind of on the lighthearted side that our readers might enjoy if they were to pick up a copy?
0: <laughs> well, I, I think I say in the book that uh, when we made the decision to report on the Monica Lewinsky blue dress, I couldn't believe we were reporting on this. And I, and my first thought was my mother back in Ann Arbor, Michigan, thinking she wouldn't even want me to talk about this, much less put it on uh, national media. So I never imagined we'd be talking about the sorts of things we had to talk about.
1: Again, the service to society and the entertainment value, that line always precariously balancing what's best for everyone. We have to wrap up today's discussion there, but, David, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you do come back again for our listeners You can leave your comments and voices about today's discussion on abajournal.com, where you can also find out other books and listen to chats with other authors in the Modern Law Library. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to
0: the ABA Journal podcast on iTunes.